What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, the Sabres closed out their season winning five of their last six and six of their last eight to finish with a 32, 38, and 11 record for 75 points. In their season finale against Chicago, they sent RJ off in style as Casey Middlestat scored the overtime game winner to give Buffalo a 3-2 to two win to close out the season. By and large, this year was a pretty significant success in a lot of areas for this team, one of which being scoring, which, Taylor, you have some numbers that you want to share about scoring being up this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. So this is a league-wide phenomenon, and there's been – I'm sure you've seen this too. There's been a lot of articles written in the last month or so like, hmm, why is scoring up? And everyone has their own kind of ideas about why that might be. One thing I wanted to say, because this kind of annoyed me, and some of the answers, people are like, well, is it really up that much? It's not up that much from like last year or two years ago. And the answer is yes, because why are you give why are you looking at it in that context? It's up from its low point, which is, I'm sure you remember the 14, 15, and 15, 16 seasons. Uh, and in fact, from mm-hmm. the lockout year, 2012, 13 through 2016, only two guys had 100 points in a season. In fact, only two guys had 90 points in a the season. They both had 100. It was Crosby and Kane. Those are the only guys that had 90 points in any seasons. So things have definitely changed. I have some numbers here to prove that. Uh, For starters, the low point recently in scoring is 2.71 goals per game per team. So basically, the average team had 2.71 goals per game. The average game had 5.42 goals in 2015-16, which is, it was basically identical to 14-15. This year, that was 3.14. So 6.28 goals per game. Wow. Total. So then the average hockey game, it's gone up about three quarters of a goal per game. The goal in three quarters of games, basically. That's mm-hmm. that's huge. Uh, save percentage has dropped from 915 to 907 league-wide. Uh, the last time scoring was this high across the league uh, was 95-96. It's the exact same number, 3.14 goals per team per game. So that's the, the last really great Lamar and uh, – not Lamar, Jesus. Lemieux, Lemieux and Yager playing together season. And that Penguins team is a, basically the highest scoring team still, but no one had scored anywhere near them until Florida this year. Florida was pretty close to them. So the Florida's the highest scoring team in 26 years. Um, Unbelievable. And then the, high, the last season that had more goals per team per game in a season is 93-94. So that's 28 years ago was the last wow. time there was more scoring than there was this year. Uh, no secret that things really took a downturn after 96 in terms of scoring in the NHL. So this year, eight guys had a hundred plus points. JT Miller just missed out. He had 99. Unfortunate for JT Miller. There were 19 guys with at least 87 points. Do you know why that number 87 is significant? Tell me. Because seven years ago, the out Ross winner, Jamie Ben had 87 points. Wow. This year, 19 guys had almost that many. And in fact, Connor McDavid had 36 more points than that. There were 66 guys this year who had at least 65 points. Uh, Back in uh, 2015, there were only 26 guys that had that many points. In fact, only five guys had 80 points that season. Uh, In terms of goals that year, Ovechkin had 53. Some things never change. But after Ovechkin, second place was Stamkos with 43 and Nash with 42 and fourth place was John Tavares and only had 38 goals this year there were 
four guys with 50, including Chris Kreider, which is wild, 17 guys with 40, and 51 guys with 30 plus. That year, there were only 15 guys. So 30 goal scorers have gone up from 15 to 51. Uh, like I said, Connor McDavid at 123 points. Uh, the only guy that's had more uh, in recent memory is Kucher- uh, yeah, Kucherov at 128 uh, three years ago in his MVP season. And uh, so more specifically, the Sabres. Sabres scored 232 goals this year. It was only good for 23rd in the NHL. But it is the most goals they've scored since 2010-11, which you might remember that season. Of course, they made the last playoffs year they made the last time. <laughs> yep, they scored 245 goals that year. They were 10th in scoring. So 23rd doesn't seem like something to celebrate, but it actually is kind of a step up. Uh, a, they've been a step in the right year. direction. That's all. It could, that's the way that I look at it. Uh, you know, you could look at this year and say, oh, they got 75 points. How can you look at that as being a positive? But it's just a step in the right direction. And that's what this is all about. That's really what. We didn't see the last rebuild or for that matter, much of the past decade in general, we haven't seen them taking steps like this where across the board you're seeing it. And so, yeah, I mean, to, to that point, I'll take 23rd compared to what we've been seeing for the past God. I mean, really the past decade since the drought began. Yeah, definitely. And then I guess we've, we've gone over these numbers quite a bit, but these are the final ones. Uh, Tage with 38 goals, Skidder with 33 and then other 20 goal scorers in Olofsson at 20, Oposo at 21. And honestly, like if Tuck wasn't hurt, I mean, he had 12 and 50 games this season. If he played all 82, he'd probably have 20 goals. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what a, what an interesting year. Um, I won't talk about the goaltending final numbers or should I? <laughs> we probably should because it's going to be arguably the single most important need to be addressed this off season. Yeah. All right. I'll just add that Darlene had 53 points this year. So proud of that guy. Um, Sabres had six goalies play for them this year. Craig Anderson was an 897. Dustin Coke, uh, say percentage of this. Dustin Tokarski is an 899. Uh, you heard me say earlier, league average is 907. So that is below average. And then Aaron Dell played the next most games. He had 12. He had an 893 save percentage. So that's tough. <laughs> um, the other guys combined for 15 games, UPL, Subban, and Hauser. Uh, UPL is a 917 in his nine games, so that's good. But yeah, that's obviously goaltending is tough. But so now that we, you know, establish that scoring really is up and this really is on a, an upward trajectory, I think it's interesting, at least to, I guess, talk about why it is. Because it, it seems like people have so many different theories. But would you agree with me that it has to be a combination of things? Yes, I would agree with you, though. I, I, I don't think that you could just pinpoint this as one reason for it happening when it's as drastic of an increase that we're seeing. Yeah, so I think there's a bunch of popular theories. I think one that's interesting is goaltending is just worse. I think that's kind of hard mm-hmm. to argue. Uh, it was pointed out that like there was a really good run of goaltenders the NHL had that were pretty consistent and had good longevity, you know, I'm not even just talking like, obviously, Roberto Luongo has been gone for a little while now, but Lundquist is a good example. Rask. Tuka Rask was great for years. Uh, Pekka Rene is another guy. There's probably some I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, but there was these guys that were good for a long time, and they really haven't been replaced by that good of a generation behind them. I mean, Bavrovsky was better this year, but he had a couple tough years when he got to Florida. And you have, I guess, kind of a weird situation where John Gibson seemed like he was going to be the goalie of his generation. And the last three years, he's been bad, like not not average, not disappointing, bad, a bad goalie. So there's 
I think there's a lot that's been kind of missing in that middle generation. Now there's young guys like Shesterkins here now, and there's other guys like that. But yeah, they're, they're really this next generation or this current generation, the guys should be in their prime right now, uh, have not been nearly as good as the guys before them. So that's one. And well, I guess, and I'll and just, on that point, I just wanted to add too, I think even to the book further reinforces that point is if you look at the goalies of the teams that have made the playoffs, it's really not, not very impressive across the board. Like there's a lot of teams that had goalie struggles throughout the year that still managed to make it into the playoffs, like going through the playoff teams, you know, Carolina, for example, Frederick Anderson has been in and out of the lineup with injuries. He's obviously had a great year when he's played, but he's hurt right now. Currently, um, the Rangers, of course, have Shesterkin, but Pittsburgh, Tristan Jari, he's been in and out of the lineup and they've had Casey DeSmith starting when he's not been there. You talk about Bobrovsky. Toronto has had uh, their fair share of struggles, too, with Campbell yeah. in and out of the lineup. Mrazic was a disaster for them this year. Eric Kalgren has been starting games for them down the stretch. Tampa, of course, has Vasilevsky, so they're okay. I mean, Boston is running a committee with Swayman and Allmark. Washington, my God, with Samsonov and Vanacek, it seems like neither of them want to take that job. Then you look at the West. I mean, of course, Colorado has Darcy Kemper, and he was solid. But, you know, look at Minnesota, Cam Talbot. I mean, he was fine. But then St. Louis, a mess. They had, they had Bennington, to bench their goalie, yeah. They had to bench right. their starting goalie. They bench six million. And then Billy Huso steps up. And, of course, Billy Huso had a good year. But, again your starter was faltering for you to the point that you had to give this guy the opportunity. Um, Calgary has Markstrom, of course. So he's, he's great. Edmonton again, not good goaltending situation. LA. I mean, you have quick and Peterson, but they're not really blowing it out of the water. Peterson Um, was terrible this year. Right. Quick was actually pretty good. The reason why they honestly made the playoffs yeah. Um, him being able to, to keep it together for them down the stretch. Then you have Dallas. Jake Ottinger had a good year, but he had his fair share of struggles. And him and Holpe, the first half of the season, were going back and forth with who was the, who was the starter in, in a 1A, 1B. And then Holpe's injury is really what led to Ottinger stepping up and taking the job outright. Yeah, he was never supposed to be. I don't even know if he was supposed to be in the NHL because they signed Holpe, obviously, but they also had Qdobin, who led them to the Cup a couple years ago. And I guess they maybe were wondering if Ben Bishop was ever going to come back. Seems like the answer is no. So, I mean, the fact that Ottinger ended up being a pretty good goalie that led him to the playoffs was kind of by accident. Right. I mean, he was also, he was up and down last year and he's looked at, he's been looked at as their goalie of the future, but you're right. They had three guys in front of him realistically in the depth chart because yeah, at the beginning of the year, it was no sure thing that Ben Bishop wasn't going to play this year. Like he was supposed to come back. So Pretty crazy there. And then Nashville, I mean, you have, of course, UC Soros, but he's had his injury concerns too and, and has been injured for part of the year. And David Riddich has had to step up for them. So, I mean, in terms of like legit outright star goalies among that mix, there's really not that many. And there's more teams that had issues in net this year than those that had pretty solid, consistent outings from guys this season. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's definitely a huge factor. And I think you also have to look at, like, is the league focused on being skilled more now than they had been in the past, like, or letting guys use their skill and speed? I think so, and I think guys are more skilled, too. I also think maybe expansion's a minor thing, COVID, too, but also is expansion probably kind of a, a factor here because you're, you're adding, what, 50 new jobs, basically, between 40 and 50 new jobs. That helps. I mean, people think that... Uh, the opposite of expansion would help basically contraction would help with scoring. And I actually think it's the opposite because yeah, you would have fewer 
bad players or fewer guys that maybe shouldn't be there. Or you basically just have a higher standard for how to get in the league. But that actually would decrease scoring because I think scoring goes up. If you were just to double the size of the NHL right now, which they've done in the past, uh, scoring would skyrocket because you just have way fewer guys. You'd have way more jobs and guys, uh, you'd have the lower standard of what it means to be an NHL player. So I think that's a minor thing as well. And I, I guess just beyond that, I think power plays are better. Power play percentage is up. It's in the low 20s now. It was like 17 a couple of years ago. That's that's a huge difference. People are scoring on a, a fifth of their power plays or more and necessarily then penalty kills are worse. So that's another that's another factor, I think. So, yeah, I, I, hope I think expansion is a really good point, too, just for the record. Also, I mean, literally, you're adding another team into the fold. So, yeah, as you said, more jobs are opening up there and more guys playing. It, it, that's just kind of like a logical one. Yeah, I think there were some weird ideas about expansion. I guess people might forget when, when the NHL doubled in size in 67. That was the beginning of there was a few different factors, obviously, back then, too. But scoring started to go up in the 70s uh, where like Phil Esposito went off Bobby Orr and then eventually that leads into what scoring was like in the eighties. But people think expansion hurt because expansion, I think completely coincidentally coincided with scoring going down in the nineties scoring was going down for a billion reasons, mostly because that's how they wanted to play. And it just so happened expansion was also going on at the same time, but might, might be worth remembering they were expanding in the early nineties when scoring was still super high. Like there was like seven goals a game. Like Lafontaine was getting 148 points. McGillney was getting 76 goals. Lemieux was averaging two and a half points a game. They just added Ottawa and San Jose and Tampa Bay and someone else who I'm forgetting now. Maybe the Mighty Ducks. Florida. So like Florida. Yeah, Florida's right around there too. Yeah. It starts falling because, well, partially because of Florida, actually, the 96 cup run. But yeah, it, it's, it, it, it falls for like a billion reasons, mostly because people realized, oh, it's easier to just not try to do something <laughs> to try to stop the other team from trying to do something. And the league won't call penalties. So you can just, you can just grab guys. You can just tackle a guy as he's going by and that's fine. That's way easier than trying to find the next, like LaFontaine or Lemieux. Mm-hmm. Just find the next, like Darian Hatcher. Oh my God. Um. So yeah, so that's basically my thoughts on scoring. I think it's good. I like scoring and I would like it to continue to go up. It's cool to see, you know, now I don't want to see Austin Matthews get 60 goals, but we've only seen three guys get 60 goals. I'm pretty sure. Do you remember anyone else getting 60 goals other than Ovechkin, Stamkos, and Matthews? No, uh, no. <laughs> I don't remember it. Not I'm not sure right. it happened. I think Yager might've done it in the late nineties, but not, Okay. I wasn't, uh, paying attention to that. I think Burry might've done it too in the late nineties, but again, I don't really remember that. It's like, so that's pretty cool. And seeing guys get, seeing Chris Kreider get 50 goals. Crazy. In his thirties, early thirties, you know, it jumps from a career high of 28 or honestly just seeing guys in the Sabres break 30. That's Kyle Opozo nice. score 20. Yeah. Seeing guys like that, seeing, seeing the games this year, like I know Florida is a special example because they're so good, but seeing them have multiple four goal comebacks, and, you know, things like that are games that are like seven to six. There's a, a few 10 goal games this year. Uh, there was a 11 goal game against Detroit. I forgot who scored 11 goals. It was probably Florida, but yeah, it's, it's cool. And honestly, you're also seeing guys stay healthier for longer. I think that helps in terms of games played because Crosby and Ovechkin were in their what 17th seasons this year or 16th seasons. 
and Ovechkin had 50 goals and Crosby obviously didn't play the full season, but he was well over a point a game still. Right. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. No, I was to say, so that's, I think that helps too, that there's not, you know, I guess hockey is a little bit less dangerous than it used to be, at least in the NHL. What were uh, penalty call numbers like this year out of curiosity? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, let's, I think, hold on. I can look at the, um, the percentage of goals that came from power plays. That's where I got the um, how many goals are sport, scored per game stats. Hockey reference has this. Yeah, here we go. So, like, you know, obviously scoring went up in 05, 06 after the lockout, but that was all power play based. Didn't, didn't uh, really go up with even strength at all. So let's see. Power play goals per game have been pretty steady, actually, hmm. for the past decade. It's 0.6. Last year is 0.57, but because 0.61 in 2018, 0.57, 0 0.58, 0 0.57, 0 0.59. The, the only one that really stands out here is it was 1.03 in 05-06. It's actually gone down quite a bit. <laughs> it's wow. 1.03, then 0 0.85, 0 0.76, 0 0.79, and then it's settled into where it is now. Power play uh, opportunities uh, are virtually identical. Uh, they're down from where they were, obviously, uh, at the end of the 0405 lockout, that 0506 season. There's about six power play opportunities per team per game. That's absurd. Now it's it's just under three, but it's yeah, that stayed pretty steady. This the scoring increase, like I said, power plays are better. They're more like they're up to let's see, 20.59 percent this year. It's really impressive. Mm. Um, and so they're up teams are better at the power play, but a lot of the scoring increase is coming from even strength. That's great. Cause that's where, that's where most of the game is played. Right. Right. No, you're right. I mean, it's better for the game. And it, you know, as we're talking also just from a, I guess, broader picture in terms of wanting to grow the game. I mean, you have the new TV deal that kicked in this year, which I think, you know, there's definitely been some hiccups with it, but by and large, it's miles better than what we were getting with NBC Sports between having it on ESPN and then TNT. So as you're trying to grow the game more and also, you know, missing out on the opportunity to grow the game through the Olympics, at least it's good that you're the product that you're putting on the ice is more entertaining because yes, goals are fun. We, we, we want more goals. There should be more, you know, mundane two to one grinding it out games are not fun. They're, they're really not. I mean, they, they obviously can be entertaining and especially in the context of like the playoffs that could be very thrilling, but people want to see goals. People want to see action. You know, you want to see as many guys and, and even more guys scoring a hundred points on a year to year basis. A lot of guys this year, you know, having career years who are in the twilight of their career who have, but Joe Pavelski had a career high in points this year. Matt Duchesne, I think, had 86 points this year. Just there are guys who are, you know, Opozo again is like to a lower extent an example, but you see it on every team. And that's great. You want to see that more and more and continue to grow. So I'm with you on that 100%. All right. Uh, I don't have any more. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, so why don't we talk about that then, I guess, in the context of the Sabres and, and closing out the Sabres season? Yes. But first, let's hear from our sponsors uh, from DraftKings. Hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during playoffs? 
With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Bet just $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See our show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. All right. Um, so, yeah, the, the Sabre season ended. It's interesting because they were supposed to play a game on Thursday. I don't think that ended up happening. At the very least, uh, we're not going to talk about it. But there was a game on Friday uh, that I was in attendance for that I thought it went pretty well, actually. Mm-hmm. Damn good one. I ended up getting to rewatch it on Saturday morning. And uh, hell of a game coming from behind, went in overtime, as I had said at the top of the episode, sending RJ off in style and his last last uh, it his last game before retiring and you know what a what a perfect ending to what was all around a really really solid year especially down the stretch these last couple of months yeah ending very strong uh it was cool to see him I mean we went to RJ Knights already talked about all of that but he came back out again came onto the ice after the game he had a nice little message for fans uh directly after the game ended so I'm glad he got to do that and got to do one of his classic calls the over time like that is cool that he got to you know get in on that Casey Middlestead scoring the last goal of the uh the RJ era that's cool but I think it's even more cool that he got to call an Owen Power goal which is the the game tying goal Owen Power's first career goal and in RJ's last game I think that's maybe someday that'll be a cool like a tribute goal right was it his second goal yeah yeah or was it his first home goal was it his first, first goal that RJ goal. called though yeah. Okay. So the first goal RJ called, uh, but yeah, there'll be a cool thing to look back on that in RJ's last game. He's, you know, maybe someday we're like, Hey, remember our hall of fame defenseman, Owen power. I saw him. We're going to be old by this point, obviously. Cause I don't know if you've thought about this, but there's a good chance we're like 50 when Owen power retires. Don't think about that too long. If you don't want to, if he has a great career, like we think he's gonna it's a real chance. Uh, but yeah, we're in our fifties and I'm like telling people that are completely disinterested generation b or whatever it is whatever the kids are then like i was there in person and i i saw uh, owen powers uh score is rick jenneret's last game okay grandpa, the kids are gonna be like, down. what is hockey there's no ice go take a nap grandpa <laughs> <laughs> we only play sports in lava now <laughs> okay man i forgot about that memory's really slipping um but yeah so that was really cool and great atmosphere again much like rj knight fans really oh, excited like People even stayed excited through that, like, real uh, not great first period. That was a uh, real, real tough, real slog of a period. But I don't know if I, I told you this or if they showed it on the broadcast, but a lot of the Bills were there. I did see that. Yeah, Kair Elam was there, right? And then yep. uh, Josh Dawson Knox, Tommy Doyle was crushing beers, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool to see them. Everyone uh, got excited for the new guy, Kair Elam. So that was that was cool. Uh, yeah, it's just a really good atmosphere in general. I also saw uh, Craig Reve and Brian Campbell in the Labatt zone before the game. Really? Yeah. Brian Campbell looks like he's 25 years old. Come on. He looks great. Good for him. Guy oh. must have, you know, great, great moisturizing. Uh, like an unbelievable skincare routine. Maybe he uses the cleanser. Maybe, yeah. 
Yeah, he just looks fantastic. He obviously doesn't have crazy hair like he used to. It's it's very short now. He's I guess he's uh he's an adult now. You want to hear a crazy thing though? An adult now. So tell me, what is it? Kyir Elam's dad, former NFL player Abram Elam, mm-hmm. is younger than Craig Anderson. And didn't he also pick off Trent Edwards? Didn't I see something <laughs> about that? Yeah. Didn't every defensive back? That's true. Oh, it's incredible. The most ten- tre- tentative Edwards, the most tentative quarterback there was, still threw a ton of picks. We love it, folks. Um, yeah, I'm sure his dad did. I won't hold it against him. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty crazy, though, right? Mm-hmm. Man, so yeah, it's uh, that was a, a a fantastic evening. Indeed, indeed, you couldn't have asked for a better end to the year. And now, looking ahead to the off season, there's some definite question marks that are going to need to be answered. Overall, obviously, the vibes are in a very good place, and things are very, very exciting. The Sabers are well positioned right now with a ton of cap space, but they do have some RFAs who are going to be coming up, including most notably Victor Olofsson. Tage is going to be eligible for an extension as well. We'll see if they do that or if he's going to want to wait until after the upcoming season. If they could get that locked up this summer, obviously that would be great, but it's all going to depend on where they're at money-wise on both sides. Um, Olofsson, though, is much more pressing as he is a pending RFA. So a lot of questions there. You know, Who is going to stick around among the forward group? A lot of those spots are already going to be filled in the top nine conceivably. And so there's probably going to have to be a a tough decision to be made if they're looking to make an upgrade anywhere, especially. And then on defense, of course, we're going to need to fill in on the right-hand side. You're going to need to get a legitimate top four defenseman. Um, You know, maybe we could talk a little bit about the importance. We could talk a little bit about, about it, I guess, because we have been a bunch, but of Darlene having the flexibility to now play on the right side and Samuelson showing that, he can handle that top pairing minutes too with Darlene. Of course it was a small sample size, but by and large, I, I was very happy with Matias Samuelson throughout the year and definitely down the stretch when he was getting more and more asked of him. So we'll see who ends up being Owen Powers partner next year. You have to hope that it's going to be an upgrade over Henry Yoki Haru and they either move him down to the third pairing or potentially move on from him and swap him somewhere else or send him in a deal to bring back a defenseman along with, you know, trading one of the forwards potentially, um, or using some of the draft capital that we have. Of course, as we had talked about on a recent episode too, that the Sabres have three first round picks and that gives them a lot of flexibility there. They also, I believe have three second rounders next year too. So a, a lot of draft assets that you could be able to use as well to, you know, again, bring in a, a roster player or either way, if you go into this draft with three first round draft picks, that that's just going to fill out the the prospect system even more than it already is. So Sabres are in a great spot right now. Um, you know, again, there's, there's going to be some, qu- and of course in goal, I, I can't close things off without mentioning that, that uh, conceivably you're going to want to have a one, a one B situation with UPL looking ahead to next year. I think we are both firmly in agreement and most people are in agreement that it's for the best to move on from Anderson uh, and Tokarski from that, for that matter as well. But who is going to be the other goalie along with Uko Pekalukin in next year? So a lot of questions, Taylor. But what are you most looking forward to, I guess, in this upcoming offseason? But also, what do you think is the most pressing issue for the Sabres as they are now about to enter into the offseason? Goalie, I think. Yeah, it has to be. Their goaltending was terrible this year. I mean, even when they had the guys that they, you know, they wanted in that, Anderson Tokarski, those guys were not good. So, yeah, you have to 
you have to see if UPL can play up here. That's the obvious thing. So like you said, do they need a guy to play with him? There's a lot of directions you could take that in. I mean, you could, you could obviously make a trade. There's usually someone available. I'm, I'm not interested really in a reclamation project like Georgia or Corpusalo, but like, there's always guys, there's UFAs like Darcy Kemper. And I think I've said this before, you can afford to go very short term, a lot of money because you're not even at the salary floor right now, much less the salary cap. So if you could, if he would be interested in a short-term deal, if you give him like two years, 18 million for Darcy Kemper, you could just tell him like, you get to get paid again. Now, maybe not by us, but like, you'll be a free agent again when you're very young and you get all this money for these two years for an up and coming team. Might be a big if Chicago, or if Colorado doesn't end up bringing him back though. Yeah. But they won't be able to offer him that much money. True. True. Very true. They're, they have other guys they have to, well, they are paying now, you know, McKinnon and, and Landis Cog and uh, Ranton and, and McCarr. Jeez. Yeah. They have, so they look for the best players in the league. There's some downsides to that, such as well, McKinnon's a up, he's up for a new deal soon too, right? He'll be getting a huge raise. McKinnon yeah. only makes like six and a half million dollars. He'll be getting 11 plus unless he wants to take some kind of team discount. Yeah, absolutely. And then also that goes back to, is there a team where a guy that's maybe a, a more solidified starter that hasn't found success, you're able to go and try and pry them out? I mean, yeah, you never know who's really available, but I guess like, is really Hugh so going to be available? Because I don't what know who's going to do. I don't know how you are going to go into next season, bringing back Jordan Bennington as the starter when he lost the job like this. I know I he there's a lot of money, but. Yeah, I don't know when you're going to buy him out. Oh, yeah, it's I think they'll probably just do that. They'll probably just go into the season with him as the starter next year. What else are they going to do financially? Like you could buy him out. That's a lot of money. I think he has quite a few years left, too, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So that's tough. But yeah, so the the Sabres, that's the obvious number one, because if you're looking at the lineup, like you said, they were bringing back a lot of forwards. They Mm -hmm. probably aren't going to bring back Andres Bjork, especially if they bring back Kenneth Stroza. I assume Bjork will be gone in that case. But look at look at I defense. Can't see them like, bringing back Hinostroza too. I, I, ugh, I, I just don't think that there is any way that they could really justify bringing him back when you look at how crowded the forward group is right now. And while he had his moments this year, there was also a lot of moments where he was invisible at times. On top of that, I would much rather look to try and upgrade at the position rather than bring him back and have him taking a spot of like somebody like Paterka, for example, when I would, I'd much rather see Paterka than Hina Right. And I think we've, we've gone over it. We, they're basically are like 12 forwards coming back. If you talk about Paterka and Quinn being up. Right. So there's, it's pretty crowded up there already. And we don't really know what's going to happen in the draft yet, but the, the, I think defensemen, they have, there's four guys I think are back for sure. And power Deline Samuelson and Yoki Haru. Uh, so you're really looking for, Maybe two other guys. I don't know. Are we are we going to see Ryan Johnson at some point? That's an option potentially. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what's going on with that. That situation super weird to me. Uh, but like, it's weird. Like, are we gonna? I don't know. I, I can't say they're going to bring back Pesic. I know they're not going to bring back Miller, but are they going to bring back Pesic? Like, he's he isn't playing. They're not playing him. Fitzgerald, I'd really rather not start the year with Fitzgerald in the NHL lineup. No, he could be the uh, number one down in Rochester, but he's just he doesn't. Oh, I forgot about that. Bryson. Yeah, exactly. So there's five guys I think. You're, so you're looking for like one defenseman. So the, again, there's not much room there. So goaltending is really that's really the move. 
Yeah, I agree. Another name too, as far as goaltending goes, I know I've talked about him a couple of times, but an option that I wouldn't hate if the trade market dries up and Darcy Kemper isn't available would be Braden Holtby too. I think that he fits for what they need. And I think that what he did for Jake Ottinger this year could be exactly what they need for somebody to do to UPL next year, where you have that guy that's that veteran presence that is able to at least push him where there's that threat of him taking the job away and he can be capable too. Um, what did you say the league average was for save percentage this year? 907. Yeah. I mean, Holtby was above that. He was at 913, which obviously isn't blowing the doors off, but his five on five save percentage was 922, which is pretty solid. Mm -hmm. So I think that he's somebody that if you could bring him in, maybe you go two years (laughs) with him, have that, that there's your tandem. I mean, he's, he showed, he went into a crowded situation in Dallas and who's to say he wouldn't want to do it again and then just get paid for it though. Get paid handsomely. Yeah. And and I bring him up as among like realistic options that I think would be better than like, we've been talking about taking a flyer on a younger guy that hasn't had success like Georgiev or Corpi Salo or any of those guys. I mean, a a name that I had thought about too ahead of him getting traded because I think now San Jose is probably going to want to bring him back too, but is Capo Kakinen. So that was a little unfortunate to see him go there because I think he was a name that intrigues me that maybe while he wasn't necessarily a veteran that you would want to pair with UPL, I think it's another just good, talented young goalie that proved on the stretch for San Jose. I mean, he had a good run. I'll I'll look it up right now, but um, he had a a good run there of games with above a uh, 920 save percentage. So, Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, like... Oh, at least there's uh, one guy in the NHL with Capo Caco in their name that's yep. uh, succeeding. That's, that's being productive. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's, so it's interesting. I mean, here, let me see right now. I have his game logs up. So, going back... Yeah, I mean, he... Th- this is crazy. So, starting from their last game of the year on April 29th versus Seattle and going backwards, his save percentage in each of the games... 933, 867, 964, 917, 923, 976, 921. Uh, we have 913 uh, and then 900. And I think that starts, that was the right after the trade deadline. So those numbers aren't bad. I mean, he's somebody, again, that I think is interesting. If San Jose, I don't know what really they're going to do because they have Aiden or Auden Hill and James Reimer, um, obviously, you know, Kakinen being good for them down the stretch probably ensures he's going to get a crack at that job next year. But again, if he's a guy that you could pry out somehow, he's an interesting name too. just somebody that's going to push UPL. Like don't just go get a guy because they've fallen out of favor with their organization, get somebody that actually is going to contribute and is, you know, if UPL falls on his ass next year, that is actually going to be able to step in and allow this team to continue to compete. What about Reimer? Reimer could be available, right? He could. Let's look, look at, at his stats now. He had a 9-11 save percentage this year. That's, that's solid. He was better earlier in the year. I think he really fell off towards the uh, the latter half of the year, and then I know he also had some injury issues as well. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that he's not too old. He's going to be 34 next year. So, and he has quite a bit of experience, more than a decade. He's definitely not a star, but like, I don't know. That's someone that I don't hate as a stopgap. I feel like I would rather Holtby than Reimer, if I'm being honest. I'd rather just go the free agent route and go after Holtby. But again, I mean, 
that's a rhymer is a possibility like or just in general looking at san jose that's a possibility where they have one too many guys so someone's gonna have to move there but yeah i i, I would like i'm looking forward to doing more of a deep dive into the options once we get a better idea of who's going to become available because who we may think is available now could be completely different a month from now when or as we approach the start of free agency in a couple of months so it's going to be very intriguing to see how this front office is treating the current state of the team and if they think that making more of an aggressive move there is going to be the play and that these guys are ready to make a push to be a contender next year. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely definitely interesting to see how they handle it. Well, we got a, a lot of uh, a lot of episodes coming up to talk about the offseason. Darn right we do. Yeah, we're still going to if anyone's wondering, we're still going to do twice a week going forward. So we'll probably talk about the playoffs a little bit because that'll have started by the next time we talk. And also, you know, what we could do, we could, I could go back and listen to the, uh, our predictions podcast and see how many predictions we got. Right. Yeah. That would be a good one. I'd be curious to see how we do it. That maybe we could plan to do that for our next episode. Yeah. Oh, still lots to talk about. And of course the draft is just over two months away. When's the, when's the draft lottery? Oh, the lottery's coming up. Yeah. That should be what next week, two weeks, May 10th. Yeah. So what's that next Wednesday, a week and a half. Yeah. Or next Tuesday. That is. Yep. And then the NHL draft is July 7th. Cool. Interesting stuff. So we'll see where the Sabres are going to be picking and you know, all odds are pointing to them having two picks in the top 16. So exciting times. For sure. Do you, uh, do you have any takes on any other sports that are going on in the moment? The Bucks are going down. That's my take. Even though they beat the Celtics today, the Bucks are going down. We'll see. Well, I mean, we'll see. What are your takes on the Bills draft, actually? Let's talk about that. Happy, not so happy. What do you think? Sure. I like this, uh, this Elon fella. They needed a cornerback. So Agreed. that's good. Um, I don't really have takes on the rest of the draft. Running back looks good, actually. James Cook, mm-hmm. Delvin Cook's brother, brother. named after Whoa, nice. famed uh, British explorer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I'm pretty. Uh, I don't really get too mad about the draft anymore. Or I mean, I don't really have that many takes on the draft in general. As long as we I don't do something. God too. Oh, that's the other. Yeah, so I do have something I'm actually excited about. The, yeah, the punt god. I mean, the Bills are in a weird spot where it's like, okay, they have. The, the quote-unquote sexy positions, they have – well, they have one great edge rusher that they got in free agency, and then they have a, but the, a handful of young guys, and they are kind of all set at safety, and the receivers are unbelievable, great quarterback. So it's like a lot of this stuff is kind of the, the boring stuff, I guess. Like you have to draft a corner. You have to draft like a, an inside linebacker that kind of, I guess, re- replace what A.J. Klein was doing maybe. So – I have no problems with the draft. I have no problem giving up a fourth round pick to move up because the bills are in another weird spot where like, they probably can't have all of their rookies on their roster. So look at like Rashad wild goose last year, I believe he was a fourth mm-hmm. round pick and they ended up having to put him on the practice squad and he got signed elsewhere. So that's, so I'm fine with giving up a fourth round pick uh, for that. And what else, anything else going on? Hmm. You know, a certain uh, team in New York has the uh, the best record in the American League right now. I am 
pretty pretty shocked at their 15 and six right now. And they are currently winning. So there could soon be 16 and six, which is fun. And meanwhile, there's another team just a couple hours away that is about to be nine and 14. And uh, what team is that? Uh, the Red Sox of Boston. Boy, that's a shame. Oh, wow, that's really hard to hear. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, tough, tough sports weekend in Boston. You know um, where it wasn't a tough sports weekend, though? Uh, where? On the ESPN Fantasy Hockey app for yours truly, as I secured the W, finishing in first place in our Fantasy Hockey League this year. Wow. Yes. I, didn't, I kind of forgot about that. Yep. No, this week was championship week. I ended the year on a pretty ridiculous run. I won, I believe, my last 20 matchups. I went all together, including playoffs, 25 and two. Damn. Yeah, it was a good year. I was pretty hyped about it. I lost in the championship last year, and so nice to come back and win it this year for sure. Yeah, revenge tour. That's what I'm I saying. I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to get revenge on everyone for me starting 0-7 and not realizing how important faceoffs were. That's literally exactly what I did my first season, too. I finished in 10th place because I didn't draft properly with going after guys who play the wing and take faceoffs and just having the general emphasis on how important centers are. So you got it yeah. next year. Now that you have it under your belt and you got a year of understanding it next year, you're coming for blood. That's right. Do you have a prediction uh, for the first round? Do you have an upset watch for the first round? Let me take a look at the matchups here again really quick. Um, hmm. Let's see. I mean, I'm going to go Carolina over Boston, Tampa over Toronto. I think the St. Louis and Minnesota series is going to be interesting. So I'll go the upset and say St. Louis is going to come out on top in that one. I'll say Edmonton beats LA, but it would be hilarious if that didn't end up happening. Um, Pittsburgh and the Rangers. Now let's go with Pittsburgh. You know why Taylor? Casey DeSmith versus Igor Shesterkin. You sure about that? No, but do you know why I'm picking Pittsburgh, though? Uh, uh, because Capo Caco sucks. Because Capo Caco sucks. So then on top of that, and also because fuck the Rangers. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, no, that is a tough one. You think the Rangers are going to end up winning? Do you think they'll do it? Yeah, unfortunately, I really don't trust Pittsburgh's goaltending. Fuck it, I'm still going Pittsburgh in that, honestly. Uh, and then I'm going to go Florida over Washington, Colorado obviously over Nashville, and Calgary over Dallas. Hmm. So I'll give those two. Yeah, Pittsburgh's my big upset, I think. But Upset I also, pick. I will Bruin, say Lewis too. Bruins over Hurricanes. You think so? Yep. Okay. We'll see. Freddie Anderson should be back. I've seen playoff Freddie Anderson before. Anti-Rant has been okay. Yeah. We'll see. I, I'm feeling the Bruins. The Bruins have been really good since, like, actually the Bruins and Celtics kind of have the same timeline of uh, being really good. So I feel like they're also going to have the same finish where they both lose in the second round. <laughs> we will see, though. Agree to disagree, sir. Agree to disagree. <laughs> Not on the Bruins, on the Celtics. 
We'll see. This Giannis fella, he's pretty good. He is not bad at basketball. Yeah. So damn likable, too. It's tough. It is. It is. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I saw Ambulance last week. Oh, you were saying you were excited to see that. Yeah, folks, Michael Bay's back. (laughs) It's been, well, I don't know. I don't even know what Michael Bay did last. But either way, Michael Bay, he needs to just lean into what, you know, he does well. You know, don't do a franchise. Like, Transformers, I'm pretty sure that's done forever. But wasted a lot of time in your your career, Mr. Bay, making terrible Transformers movies. And I got to say, Ambulance, real return to form. It was a great time. Gyllenhaal, such a good villain. So good at playing like a kind of like smarmy sociopath type of guy. You know, he's so good at that. We really miss that. Uh, The guy, I always forget the guy's name. He was just in the Matrix and I think also Candyman. Uh, But he was great as well. And, uh, you know, just all around, it was was a, a fun time. I think uh, I'm going to look here now. Michael Bay, oh, he made a movie called Under- Six Underground. I don't know what that is. Oh, he made 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, huh? Yeah, let's see. that's what I mean about wasting time. He made one, two, three, four. Five. He made five Transformers movies. <laughs> Such a waste. Uh, but like, yeah, like Bad Boys, The Rock, Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, Bad Boys 2, Pain and Gain, and now Ambulance. Look at that. That's that's such a nice run. Imagine if he just didn't waste a decade in the middle of there. Making movies about Bumblebee. Ugh, Bumblebee. Not one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was just honestly a great time. The action's unbelievable. They don't make action movies like that anymore. Like so many practical effects, uh practical blood effects, which big thumbs up on that. I love blood. Yeah. I don't like CGI blood. If you can help it, like practical, practical violence is thumbs up. There you go. So yeah, that's Taylor loves movie. Taylor loves blood. You heard it here first. <laughs> we love we love uh I love squibs. <laughs> and movies should bring that back. I know it's like cheaper to just digitally alter everything, but man, seeing a little tiny thing explode in a guy's shoulder and be like, that's obviously a gunshot. <laughs> not <laughs> doesn't look like it blew from outside inside the shirt out and not the other way, but I miss it. And that's why I like Michael Bay because a lot of, a lot of crazy action. He loves a car running into something really fast. Like the, the cliche is the fruit stand. Guy's got a fruit stand and a car chase like, Oh, boom, there goes all the fruit. But a lot of, a lot of this movie is cars running into stuff, including each other. Yeah. You heard it here first folks. Michael Bay and cars running into stuff are back. That's (laughs) never left in Western New York. That's true. Oh my god! All right, you have a recommendation. Um, yeah, I'm gonna recommend because I don't have anything new that I'm gonna recommend, but I'll recommend an album that I've been listening to a good amount lately, and am reminded of the fact that it's one of the best albums of all time. Highway 61 Revisited by Bob Dylan. 
I've been on a kick with that lately. And uh, it is a pretty goddamn incredible album. Incredibly influential. It's historic because it was, of course, the album that Dylan went electric on. Opens up with like a Rolling Stone, which I think is in the top 10 best songs of all time. And the, I mean, the entire album front to back, all nine songs are are just fantastic. Like it's just so good. And I think just the pivot of him just being this folk musician and then putting out this incredible more kind of rock based album, even though it's still very much, I think, in the root of, you know, what made Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, but putting out this electric album that is unbelievable. And now, of course, with hindsight, we can look back on it and say it's one of the best albums ever. But at the time, Dylan fans hated it. Absolutely hated it. People booed him off stages at festivals and would like throw shit at him on on stage because they wanted him to play the acoustic stuff and they didn't want to listen to rock music. So kind of interesting to think how at the time something that is now considered to be such a masterpiece back then was maybe not universally hated, but by his core fans was was not well received. What? You've never heard these stories before? People would throw stuff at him. That's so rude. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> he had so gotten like, off the stages and it, it, yeah, no, that this is like a real thing. I honestly, I feel like it's, you're at a festival. There's multiple things going on. Like you don't have to watch any one individual person usually. Mm-hmm. So people will just, I'm going to his show on purpose. Cause I got this tomato. I'm going to throw at him. Yep. Cause I hate electronic music. <laughs> wow. Acoustic guitars only Taylor. I feel like acoustic guitar people are more peaceful. At least that's the reputation, you know? Like guitar guy, he's not usually like violent. But when you take away his acoustic guitar on the campfire, maybe he does get violent then. Maybe they used to be violent, but then Wonderwall came out and they really just mellowed. And they're like, you know what? That's true. Oasis did that. (laughs) Oasis made guitar guys nonviolent. And now Bob Dylan can go out in public without the... But Oasis is an extremely violent band. That's true. Well, they're a violent band with very chill vibes. <laughs> life is full of contradictions. That, how wise. Wow. That's beautiful. Well, yeah, no. So that's my, uh, that's my recommendation. Highway 61 revisited by Bob Dylan. All right. Uh, so who's your uh, random former Sabres player? <laughs> Cody Eakin. <laughs> All right. Mine is John Hayden. There you go. All right. Sounds great. Well, everybody, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both of the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using and whatever social media platforms you're active on. And make sure you're also following Straight Up Sabres on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And again, whatever streaming platform you're currently listening to this episode on, make sure you are following or subscribe to us. We very much appreciate it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or any other platforms that allow you to give any reviews we would very much appreciate a nice review mean the world to us and of course last but not least make sure you're using DraftKings and using the thpn promo code at checkout to take advantage of great deals we'll be back with a new episode on thursday everybody have a great start to your week this has been straight up savers 